Lord, on this day when we are reminded that you are the great I am, the God of the living and the dead, we commend to you all those for whom we have concern and worry, especially this day we pray for Robin, that you would be with the doctors and nurses and, and guide their hands and their efforts that she might be healed and might be restored to be able to serve you in the way that you've called her to be. And now, Lord, as we study your word, we humbly ask that you would be among us by your Holy Spirit, that his wisdom alone might guide our discussion, our thoughts, and especially our faith, that in these words we might hear and believe in our Savior Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, we're in, in John 5, right in the middle of it. And remember, just a little background that Jesus got in trouble. What did Jesus do to get in trouble? He healed someone. How dare he? On the Sabbath, okay? So Jesus gets in trouble for healing on the Sabbath, and he says, you can't get mad at me for healing on the Sabbath because my father is at work on the Sabbath, I'm at work on the Sabbath. They said, wait, who do you think you are? You're making yourself equal to God. And he said, it's exactly who I think I am. And they said, how dare you think you're that? So, he launches into this long discourse. It's called the Son of Man discourse, if you want to, if, if you want to look at the way scholars handle it. And he says, there are four people who agree with me that I am who I say I am. Or there are four things mm-hmm. that witness about me. And what they are? John. John. Good. Not the author of the Gospel, John, but the John. baptizing John, right? And then also... <laughs> The Father, good, and then His works, the works that Jesus does themselves, and then finally, the Scriptures, good. So that's what we went over last time. These are the four things that all bear witness to who Jesus is, okay? They're all pointing to Jesus, okay? So we are now in the midst of this, um, and he's going to describe kind of how all these things work. But the focus of this section is really going to be the scriptures. That's kind of the goal of all this discussion is, is to point to the scriptures themselves that they bear witness to Christ that, that all these things, these three, are all in concert with what's revealed in the scriptures. And remember, at this point, the scriptures are the Old Testament. The Old Testament. Okay? So that's exactly what we're what we're um, we're getting to. So um, we've talked about John that he's the they went to him because he's a lamp shining and they rejoiced to be in his light for a while and all that kind of good stuff, right? And he talked about Jesus. Remember, they went to John the first time. I said, "So are you the Christ?" And John said, "Nope, not." And they said, "What are you? One of the prophets like Elijah or something?" He goes, "Nope." What are you then? He goes, I'm the, I'm the guy Isaiah talked about who is the forerunner of the Lord. And among you is one that is greater than I am, and I, you know, all this stuff. And then he said, so then John's great conclusion, his ministry is when he sees Jesus, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's the legacy of John. Behold, the Lamb of God. John is not behold me, right? It's not John's mission. John's mission is to 
tell you, look at Jesus. Okay? The Lamb of God takes away the sin orb. That's his witness. Okay? So let's read John 5, 30 to 36. Okay, thank you. All right, now I know we've already done some of this, but I just can't resist. Just just keep something there. Okay, look at... I'm sorry, back up for a second. Look at verse 35. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Isn't that weird? Not really. He's actually quoting a psalm. Go to Psalm 132. Psalm 132. So the book of Psalms is basically in the middle of your Bible, kind of-ish. Or that way. It's the biggest book in the Old Testament, chapter-wise. 132. This is just kind of a cool little reference that you might not catch right away. And most people don't refer to it. Psalm 132. Verse 16 and 17. It's, it might not even really excite you when you read it, but I'm, I'm just going to have to explain it to you. It's kind of fun. So 132, verses 16 and 17. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints with shout for joy, will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamb for my anointed. Okay, now, in your English translation is hidden a lot of things. So in the, so the Old Testament is written in what language? Hebrew. But in 250 BC, it was translated into Greek, okay? And it was called the Septuagint. The Septuagint. Okay? And it's otherwise known as the LXX, which stands for 70, because there's a legend that 70 guys wrote it. Well, that's the Torah in 250, and then the Psalms are translated later. And there's good evidence that most of the New Testament writers use this translation when they quote the Old Testament, because that was the Greek text a lot of people were reading. And if you look at the Greek words in the, the, the LXX version of Psalm 132, the same words that Jesus says in verse 35 are used in Psalm 132. So, if you look at John 5, 30, what is is 35, right? Yeah. He was a burning and shaming, shining lamp and you are willing to rejoice, that word rejoice is actually the same word in the Septuagint at the end of verse 16. Saints will shout for joy, the exact same Greek word as Jesus says in John 35 for rejoice. Okay, you're able to rejoice in his light. And then, 
If you look at shining lamp in, 35, in John 5.35, that's the exact word that's used in 132 verse 17. A lamp, a shining lamp for my Messiah. Remember, anointed is Messiah. Or in Greek, Christ. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the anointed. So what we have here in Psalm 132, Jesus is alluding back and saying, you guys rejoice for a while in this lamp who was properly the one to come to prepare for the Messiah. Well, guess what? That's exactly what he did and he pointed to me. See what Jesus is saying? This guy that you rejoice in, just like it says in one thir- Psalm 132, well, he actually was God's shining light to proce- precede his Messiah. And that's exactly who John was, and therefore that's exactly who I am. That's what Jesus is saying. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You guys were supposed to be amazed by that, but you don't really look overly <laughs> impressed. That was kind of fun, but you guys missed it all oh, together. There you go. That's pretty amazing. Roger? Does the horn also mean John the Baptist? Yes, good. So the horn is strength. It's it's God's kind of protection for his people. It's it's all this. So what then what happens? You start reading this, you're like, whoa, this all works, right? So therefore I'll make a horn to sprout for David. So the horn is either is either John the Baptist or Jesus himself. Because Remember, Jesus is the son of David. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so you kind of read this text that way. So I, I looked up Ezekiel 29, 29. Uh-huh. On that day I will, raise, I will cause a horn to spring up for the house of Israel, and I will open your lips among them. Then they will know that I am Right. So that's why I say, it, depending on how you read the text, that's either still referring to John the Baptist or it is actually Jesus himself. Yeah. But it's all moving in this direction, that God's going to raise up this, and it, the result of that raising up will be the salvation of God's people. Right? And that's fulfilled in Christ. Good. That's exactly right. Okay? Still not as amazed as I was hoping. But oh well. We do the best we can. All right. Number one. What works did Jesus do? The works that his father prepared for him to do. So what has he done so far? He's healed two people and he's turned water into... Not that impressive. Not really that impressive. Right? I mean, if you're going to brag on your resume, you might want to step it up a bit. I mean, a couple of parlor tricks and whatever. He's teaching in the synagogue. He's teaching. So what else? If you're reading the Gospel of John and you get to John 5, what have you probably already read in your life? Remember the Old Testament and... Right, the Synoptic Gospels. So what happens is is Jesus is actually, when Jesus refers to the works that he's doing, in John, that specifically is going to be 
that. That is specifically going to be the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's specifically the works that he is doing. And what you read is all of his miracles, all of his miracles are actually pointing toward that work. Right? They're all pointing us to the actual consummation of his work as the one who is sent to save you. If Jesus just did miracles and never died, we're not sitting here. Okay? All the works find their completion, their fulfillment in the death and resurrection. Right? So he's not saying, because I, I helped this guy get up, take his mat, and walk away, you should believe that I'm the Messiah. That's not really what he's saying. He's saying that's evidence, but it's not the full evidence. There's, there's more to come, right? In John 11, what's the big work he does there? John 11. Raises Lazarus from the dead. A little more impressive. Right? And what happens as a result of that? People either believe him or they want to kill him. People either celebrate with Lazarus or they want to kill Lazarus. Did you realize that? That people wanted to kill Lazarus to shut him up. Because they realize that as long as Lazarus is alive, people are going to follow Jesus. Have you guys realized this? That if you're attached to Jesus, people are going to want to kill you. But at the same time, he could not have lived his life without doing miracles. Are you saying that the opposite way? Jesus could have died on the cross, saved us all from sin, and still not die. I didn't say that. When did I say that? Don't ever take the opposite of what I say and pretend it's true, because it hardly ever is. No, and that's exactly the point. This doesn't exist without this. Why? Why do we know that? Why do we know that Jesus' death and resurrection did not occur without the miracles? He can't deny himself who he is. Yeah, that's nice. But why do we know the death and resurrection of Jesus did not happen without the miracles? Great, because that's what happened. There isn't another way that this happened outside of the way it happened. Guess what happens when God takes on human flesh? He does miracles. How do you know that? Because that's what happened. That's right. That's what's written. So I don't know. You can theorize all you want. But the point is, it doesn't end here. The ministry of Jesus does not end here. The ministry of Jesus gets him there. All the Gospels teach the same thing. The the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the goal. Right? Okay? So the works he did, yeah, so far we can make a little bit of a list, and there's a couple more to come, right? There are seven main miracles or signs in the Gospel of John, but the real point is this. By the way, just just because it's fun and we have lots of time together. Just because it's fun and we have lots of time together. 
John 13. What's in John 13? It's not the Lord's Supper, because it's not instituted in John. The washing of the disciples. What did Jesus have to do to wash their feet? Yeah, get water. Yeah, that's nice. Think about today's Old Testament reading. He had to take off their shoes. Because the place that they are is holy. Who's the one who appeared to Moses in the burning bush? The same one who will take off their sandals and wash their feet. They don't, he says to Peter, you don't get what's going on here, dude. Right? Peter's like, Lord, you're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, you have no idea what's going on here. And you won't get it either. As a matter of fact, you will deny me because you don't get it. But when Jesus shows up again after the resurrection, they're like, whoa. Holy ground, right? We are in the presence of, what does Thomas say? My Lord, my God. That's who's here. Whoa. We had no idea. We had no idea. Right? I mean, just don't miss these connections. The scriptures are written to help us see this. That this is is the way God has been working from the get-go to save his people. It's always to save his people. Right? All right, number two. What is the point of the things that Jesus did? To the cross. <laughs> right. I always answer my own questions. To get to the cross and, and to show us that this is who God is. Every single person who's ever been born has this question. Who is God? What does the divine idea have to do with me or us or this world, right? Philosophy, religion, morality, ethics, it's all bound up in this question of it kind of seems like there's something bigger out there, right? When you want to figure out why does nature behave the way it does, we say, oh, because there's something bigger out there than nature. And she's nice and she's loving, so we call her Mother Nature. See, there's something bigger than nature that's running the show. And we say, well, why did this thing develop into that thing? And we say, because evolution is moving in that direction. We say, evolution isn't a force, it's an idea. You go, no, 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 evolution desires. And you go, what just happened? We assign something bigger than that. So to to explain how that happened, right? So all of us are walking around going, how do we explain what's going on? There's something bigger, there's something grander, something. And the question of all of eternity for every person is, who is that? And Jesus says, I came to do these works so that you would know that that is the Father. And how does he feel about you? He sent me to be your Savior. He loves you so much 
that he sent his son to be the propitiation of sins so that all who believe in him would never die but would live forever. That's why Jesus came. To show you the Father's love and to be the Father's love and to give the Father's love. Right? That's the point of everything he did. So that you don't have to wake up in the middle of the night and go, I wonder if that bigger thing out there, one, exists. Two, what do we, how do we think about it? How do we name it? How do we, is it evolution? Is it Mother Nature? Is it luck? Good luck. Really? No, no, no. None of those things are what it really is. Who is it? It's God. Well, what does that mean? Everybody says they're gods. Now we know his name. Right? Now we know his name. Listen to the burning bush. If I go tell them that some divine being sent me, they're going to be like, yeah, well, we got divine beings already. Thank you very much. And they're enslaving us. We're going to trade those Egyptian divine beings for Moses' divine being who left here because you're a murderer? Really? Why? So who do I say should send me? And God says... I am that I am. And Moses says, that's not much to work with. Right? So God's like, all right. I know you don't believe me. So when you set them free, you will come here to this mountain to worship me. And Moses is like, you're way ahead of this. I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to go talk to them. He's like, when you set them free, because that is a foregone Conclusion. It's going to happen. I'm going to rescue my people. We're just negotiating your role in all of this. And Moses finally says, uh-uh, I can't do this. And God goes, duh. When did you think you were going to do anything? Right? And so God says, I'm going to use you. And Moses says, please don't use me. And he says, fine, I'll use your brother. And then Moses goes, uh-uh, I don't want him. And then God says, well, I'll use the two of you. And Moses is like, all right. Okay, but that's actually the story of Exodus. That's how it works. Because the point of all these things is to show us who this God is. Is the divine being impersonal? Is he just out there? No. He invites you to call him Father. When you pray, say, Our Father. And since it's Luther's birthday, what does Luther say that means? That God invites us to pray as a father wants to hear from his dear children. Right? So you don't have a God who's out there and you have no idea if he cares what's going on in your life. Of course he cares. He's your father. And of course he wants to rescue you from sin. And he's done it in his son, your savior, Jesus, who is not ashamed to call you brothers. Right? He's not ashamed to call you his dear brother or sister. Not at all. He rejoices to call you that. Which is pretty cool. Okay? Does that make sense? That's where Jesus is moving the whole conversation. Questions or thoughts so far?
All right, let's go to number three. Let's read John 5, 37 through 47, which is the rest of the chapter. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. Another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from only from the only God? Do you think that I will accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? That's enough for us to work on the rest of our lives. Just that passage right there to unpack everything going on would take literally the rest of our lives. Okay, so we'll do it quickly. (laughs) Number three, who sent Jesus? The Father. Now, this is very important because you've got to keep track of this as we go. If we mess this one up, we'll get the rest wrong. And if we mess this up, we'll think we're saying things we're not actually saying. Okay? So, the Father. Now, is the Father God? I thought Jesus was God. Okay, we're good so far. Is there a Holy Spirit? Is He God? Okay, so we're good so far. Now, when you have the Father, how much of God do you have? All. All. When you have Jesus, how much of God do you have? All. When you have the Holy Spirit, how much God of God do you have? All. Okay, so if you have Jesus minus God, how much Jesus do you have? All. None. <laughs> if you take the God out of Jesus, how much Jesus do you have left? None. Okay? If you have the Father and you take the God part of the Father, how much do you have of the Father left? None. If you have the Holy Spirit and take the God part of the Holy Spirit out, how much Holy Spirit do you have left? None. Okay? So we're good Trinitarian theologians. Now, this is important as you read this section because this is what Jesus is going to explain to you. That there are a lot of people out there who will say God and think they're referring to the same God you are. But guess what? They're not. And Jesus is going to tell you how you know. He's going to tell you how you know if we're talking about the real God. Or if the God we're talking about is a deception. And a lie. And therefore not God. Right? Okay? So the Father sent Jesus. Now, when you get all excited like some of us do about Jesus being the point of everything, it's all in the Old Testament, it's all about Jesus, the whole crazy is all about Jesus, everything. And, like, and people say, oh no, you're throwing out the Father. And Jesus says, you can't throw out the Father. He's the one who sent me. Sent me. He's the one who sent me. See, all of this is the Father's will to do this. So when we elevate Christ, we're never de- Elevating the Father. No, the Father is the is the eternal Father, strong to save. Right? We just sang to him this morning. 
And boy, we didn't know if we should stand up or not, did we? You're all confused on that last verse. Here's the thing. I shouldn't say. I won't say nothing. Stand for the whole hymn if you want to. It's all Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Just sing for those. Just stand. Who cares? If you don't want to stand, sit. If you don't want to sit, kneel. If you want to kneel, squat. I don't care. Just sing. It's best if you can sit up straight or stand if you want to sing. If you slump like I do, you can't sing very well. All right. So don't do that. I wish we had kneelers, but we won't talk about that today. <laughs> That's just my opinion. I like kneeling because I hate it. That's why I like it. Right? All right, number four. Whose word is the Old Testament? Yeah, you guys are scared to death to answer that one, aren't you? <laughs> the Father's got a lot of trick questions. Yeah, a lot of trick No, we have a lot of questions that are make sure we're doing this correctly. Whose word is the Old Testament? The Father's. Okay, we're going to get there. Okay. Generically, God's. We're affirming that the Old Testament is God's word. The scriptures are God's word. Now, if someone says, well, yeah, I believe that too, and I'm a Jew which means they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They may say, well, I think we're talking about a different definition of God because I'm talking about the God who is the Father of Jesus. Okay? And that's important. That's what Jesus is saying in this whole discussion is the God that you're reading about in the Old Testament is my Father. That's what got us into this mess. Is they're saying, you're making yourself equal with God. And Jesus says, if I wouldn't, I'd be lying. See, I don't have a choice in this. I'm not choosing making myself equal to God because I am. And my Father agrees with me. You've read my Father's Word. It's in your Scriptures. See? So if you're saying he's not my father, then you're denying his word. And if you don't read the Old Testament as the word of my father, then you're reading it about the wrong God. As a matter of fact, if your God is not my father, your God is actually the devil. When he says you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, the Jews are doing that now, right? Mm -hmm. And how do they think they have eternal life from the Old Testament scriptures? Because the rabbis say, and I I, I honestly just forgot the reference, but it, it is a teaching of the rabbis that in the reading of Torah you receive life. Just the actual reading. Just reading scripture. Just the act of reading scripture that God will give life. They have an amazing theology of the word. And a lot of it's derived from Psalm 119, right? Psalm 119, longest chapter of the entire Bible. But the entire point of Psalm 119 is if you read Torah, if you read the word, if you read the law, the word of God, then you actually receive God. And you live in him. And you do things according to his will. And we're going, yeah. And Jesus says... Yeah. 
But if you're denying the God that is revealed in the, in the words of Torah, you're not going to get life. What does that mean? That means that this book is not magic. Okay? And this is very important. Um, number five. How does God desire for us to read scriptures? Right. It's all about Christ. See, scriptures is not the object of your faith. I know I'll get in trouble for saying that for some people. But the scriptures are not the object of our faith. What's the object of your faith? Jesus. As the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the one sent from the Father, revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. That's the object of your faith. What role do Holy Scriptures play in that? It communicates to you. It reveals it to you. But more than that, more than just communicating and revealing, what do Scriptures do? It actually produces faith in you. The Spirit actually works through this Word. It's not benign. It's not just a book. It is magic then. <laughs> but it's not magic. See, that's the thing. Is it's not just magic, but it's not just a book. It is God's inspired and error-free text to deliver to you the salvation that Jesus accomplished. Right? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the words of Christ. So if you give someone the Bible and they read it every day and say, I don't believe in the God of the Bible, but I'm reading it every day, therefore I'm going to go to heaven. You say, you want to reread that, okay? Because you missed something major. Okay? Because what Jesus is saying is just reading the scriptures is not how you get life. It's believing in the one the Father has sent. So if someone reads the Bible and does not believe in Christ, it doesn't do them any good. Okay? We also have to make sure we're not saying belief is something we do as a work. It's the Holy Spirit. Because that's exactly the point. It's not an intellectual thing like, well, you just don't understand enough, keep trying. No. There are a lot of people who understand the Bible really well who don't believe a word of it. It's not an intellectual issue. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. For those of you who are at Acts this last Wednesday, Acts 16, Lydia, remember Lydia? Seller of purple garments. Paul preaches the order. What does it say? And the Lord opened her heart to believe the words that Paul was speaking to her. See, that's how it happens. It's the Lord... It's God that does this, which is why I just got a text from, from one of my daughters saying, when you witness, how, how do you avoid being, you know, arrogant or pompous? Not, not me, but like in general, you. And, and the answer is because it's not about me. It never is. The only thing I have was given to me as a gift. The fact that I believe in Jesus, I get no credit for that. It's 100% gift. 
100% God's doing. Right? And this is what Jesus is getting at. And this is where it's going to get a little weird, actually. Okay? Any questions so far? Or thoughts? Don't leave now. This is kind of a side question. When did Jesus actually, during his young life, determine that he was the son of God? July 14th. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't determine he was the son of God. He was born as the son of God. Right, but I mean, did he himself as a human know that from... Where's the first time you hear Jesus talking like he's the son of God? What does he say? Yeah. Why did you look for me? Of course, I'm in my father's house. So at least by the time he's 12, right? Which is remarkable. That means as a teenager. Can you imagine Jesus as a teenager? I mean, like, have you ever been around a teenager that doesn't sin? Mary is like, I've read all this stuff about raising teenagers. It's been a breeze. He's completely obedient. Right. She's like, this is a breeze. They're like, and, and she's, you know, she's at the, she's at the coffee shop with the other moms. They're like, don't you hate it when you're a kid? And she's like, my kid's never done that. What are you talking about? When I tell him to clean his room, guess what he does? He cleans his room. Why not? It's not a sin to have a dirty room, I hope. But at the same time, there were brothers and sisters in the family. So he had to be... Could you imagine them? If you tell me one more time that I should be like Jesus. And Mary's like, you kind of should. They're like, I hate that guy. And they do. Until after his resurrection. And then all of a sudden, oh, mom was right. I totally should have listened to her. Which is kind of what we all say eventually, right? <laughs> but see, what that's exactly what the point is. Is that it's we all think there's like this magical thing. Like if you just talk about Jesus one time, everyone's going to believe him. But his, his own family struggled with this. His own family struggled with looking at a human and saying, I mean, you're cool and you're amazing, but God? The Savior of the world? Isn't that stretching it a bit? See? And it's not until his death and resurrection that they go, wow, like, seriously, you meant that. The whole all rise again in three days, that wasn't a metaphor. We thought it was a metaphor. Well, guess what? When he actually did it, they went, well, well, this this changes everything, (laughs) right? And that's exactly what happens. They start going, this changes everything. Let's go back and reread the entire Old Testament with Jesus being the one who is the Savior of the world who dies and rises for the sins of the whole world. And that's the New Testament. Is all these guys going, let's reread the Old Testament with Jesus as the one who does this. And they start seeing all of this. Just like Joseph and his brothers. Just like Joseph and his brothers. Right. Whoa. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. So God desires for us to read the scriptures as the book about 
Jesus. And when you do that, you will see the Father perfectly. And you will see the Holy Spirit as he is to be revealed. But you will never find the Father if you look for him outside of Jesus. And you'll never know God if you look for him outside of Jesus. That's the key. Yeah, we do. Um, Except that time at the temple. The time in the temple, but then also um, there are a couple of times when they say, we know his mom and his dad. Or his dad is a carpenter. Right? So we do have references that Joseph was known and was around at least for part of Jesus' life. We don't know what happens to Joseph. There's no mention of he died or whatever, right? There's actually way less about Mary than you think, too. But she does get mentioned more than Joseph. But Joseph just kind of... Eh. Well, you're correct. Jesus was 30-ish. Yeah. So if the conjecture is that Joseph is actually old, an older man when he marries Mary, like 30-ish. So if Jesus is born when Joseph is 30-ish, and Jesus' earthly ministry starts when he's 30. That means Joseph would be 60, which isn't really young for somebody that's living in the first century. On the cross, he tells John. Yeah. Yeah, but he's you know he's got brothers and sisters, so what does that mean? Right. You're, so, so the assumption is that at the cross of Christ, when Jesus gives Mary to John, that Joseph is not around to take care of her. That's the assumption. It's never explicitly said, but that's been the assumption. We just don't know. It, it's not in Scripture. So we just kind of take the evidence we can and put it together. Okay? You think that's by design so that the emphasis is on his heavenly father? Not his earthly father? Yeah. Um... Although the Pharisees, the Jews will use this against Jesus later and accuse him of being illegitimate because they know that Joseph is not his father. They'll actually accuse him of being an illegitimate child because Joseph is not his father. So he's made this known that Joseph ain't, ain't his father. Somehow. Right? All right. Uh, now we got to look. So John 8. Go to John 8. If you're, if you're ever wondering who Jesus' father is, read John 8. Because that's what he talks about. John 8, verse 41. Okay? Jesus says, You are doing the works your father did. And they said... Well, yeah. Well, we were not born of sexual immorality like you were. There's a nasty word for that, right? What are they calling him? Don't say it out loud. Yeah, that's what they're calling him. Okay. We have one father, God. And Jesus says, no, you don't. 
right? If God were your father, you would love me. But since you don't, God isn't your father. Right? So keep going. And verse 44, you are of your father the devil. Yeah. So these are Jews who believe the Old Testament is the word of God. And Jesus is saying to them, your father is not God, but the devil. If you reject Jesus as the one the Father has sent, then who's God? Who is your God? According to John, Satan, Satan the devil. Hey, we stumbled to number five. Wait, no, number six. That's probably number six. Yeah, we stumbled to number six. Probably. So, um, so there was a video out a while ago on YouTube, and I might have written, done a podcast on this that. Someone was arguing that the, the God of the Jews is the same God as the Christians because of the Old Testament. And a lot of people say, yeah, see, it's the same book. <laughs> well, Jesus says, no. No, 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 no. Because the only true God is the Father who sent Christ, Jesus, to be the Christ. If your God is not the one who sent Jesus to be the Christ, then that's not really God. Did Mother Nature send Jesus? Yeah, nope. Did evolution? Did luck? Did knocking on wood? Then stop worshiping those gods because they are not real. They're false. And false gods do not come from the Holy Spirit. They come from the devil. So don't worship those gods. Don't trust them, don't believe them, don't follow them, don't advocate for them. Right? You know who God is. Don't be ashamed of that. People want to talk about God generically, you stop and you say, let's be clear who we're talking about. The God I'm talking about sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. That's the God I'm talking about. Right? Yeah? But the Jews are the chosen people of God. They were, yeah. And yet, yet, there are a lot of Jews that don't believe. Okay, good. So what, what actually happens is, technology is bad. So Israel is the chosen people of God in the Old Testament, right? The Israel of the Old Testament who are the chosen people of God are those who are in Christ. If someone claims to be this but rejects this, they're going to go over here and say we're still the chosen people of God. That's the whole point. Jesus is saying, nope, you're not the chosen. You might be the chosen people of God, but the God that you're chosen by is not my father. See, the only Israel who are still the children of God or the chosen people of God are those who believe in the one that Jesus, whom God sent. If you claim to be Israel, you must believe in Christ because Christ is the fulfillment of Israel. If you're saying we want to be Israel but not be Jesus, he's saying there isn't an Israel that doesn't end in me. Right? 
There isn't a people of God that doesn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. That doesn't exist. That's what Jesus is actually saying here. So if anybody claims to be a person of God and doesn't believe in Jesus, Jesus is saying to them, you're wrong. They're saying, well, we're reading these words of God and we're getting life. And Jesus says, no, no, you're not. Because the only way to get life is through Jesus. That's it. No other way. And that's exactly what he's saying in John 5. And he'll recapitulate again in John 8. And actually, he'll say it again in John 6, which causes even more problems. I'm just going to say there's a difference between the people of Israel and the country of Israel. Right, and that's the problem. And many preachers don't Right, and that's the problem. They're like, well, we can still go to Israel. And we go, well, so? You can also still go to Bethlehem. It doesn't make any difference. Again, Israel is not the magic, it's not a magic land. Like, this is not a magic book. Baptism is not a magic washing. The Lord's Supper is not a magic feast. <coughs> if you take the Lord's Supper and don't believe in Jesus, what happens? Your father the <coughs> devil. What happens if you take the Lord's Supper and don't believe in Jesus? It doesn't help you. It hurts you. Yeah. See, this isn't some magic feast. To, to eat and drink as God desires to give you life, that comes through faith in Christ Jesus. For baptism to be a washing of regeneration, of forgiveness of sins, is through faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah? For the absolution to actually work for you that pastor pronounced upon you today, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. People can walk into our church that aren't, aren't believers and that absolution will do absolutely nothing for them. Right? Yeah, they don't think they even need us. Right, they won't even want it necessarily. They're like, who's that guy? And why do I care? Okay? But see, this is the point. is None of this is magic charms. This is all through faith. Go look in their sanctuary. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Right? So, so this is exactly what Jesus is saying. You can read the right words. You can say the right words. But if you don't believe that it's about Christ, if you don't believe it's fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Christ, you're not getting nothing from it. Let alone life. Okay? So number six, what happens if you read them and don't believe in Jesus? <coughs> you don't have God. You don't get life. So what do you do? You die. Remember, is God in his word? Yes. So when you encounter God in his word, it's going to hit you as either law or gospel. Now, you read it as law, what do you need? If it condemns you, what do you need? Jesus. Jesus to forgive you. That's the gospel. So if you read it without Jesus, all you're getting is law. And there's no salvation outside of Jesus. It makes sense? It doesn't make the Bible untrue. 
It just means that you've rejected the rescue. You've rejected the salvation part of it. And all you're going to get out of it is law. Which is why people hate us. We come out with, come out them with the Bible like, I don't want to read that. That's a terrible book. And you're like, it's my favorite thing to do. I read it every day. I love it. I study it. And they're like, what is wrong with you? Why would you want that? You're just guilty all the time. And I go, I heard this my whole life. Lutherans are guilty. And I went, Lutherans are guilty? Dude, Lutherans are all about salvation. Lutherans are all about Jesus. We're not walking around guilty all the time. We're walking around going, I'm so glad I've got Jesus. This is great. Right? But that's what people can't get. They can hear the right words, but without faith in Christ, they're not going to get the life. Which is why when we proclaim, we want to make sure we are proclaiming Christ. Don't make it generic. Don't make it generic. Say the name. His name is Jesus. There is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. It's the name that is above every name. So say it. Yeah? Okay, let's pray. We, we know, we believe, we trust, we hope that life is found in Christ. Dear Father, we thank you that by your Spirit you have brought us to that life through word and sacrament. And we pray that you would keep us ever steadfast in the true faith, that all of our doings this day might be well-pleasing in your sight through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you.